Welcome again to Equipping the Body. I'm Pastor Brad Starnes, and we are continuing our work through the book of Ephesians. And we have come to verse number 7 in chapter 1. And I want to remind everybody that this podcast is not a sermon podcast. I'm not simply taking sermon notes and preaching Um, This is a Bible study podcast, and so what we do is we move through books of the Bible and we constantly reference Bible study tools, how to do inductive Bible study, um, our observational questions. It, It is designed to teach you how to study God's Word in a way that will bring you more understanding. And so I'm going to jump back in right where we left off. In verse number 7, we find this, this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, this is a marvelous verse, and I could spend, in fact, I do have a sermon um, in my notes where I preached an entire sermon on this one verse. Um, It is a marvelous verse, but again, that's not our purposes here, our purposes here is to study, to observe, interpret, apply. Always remember the three steps of inductive Bible study, observe, interpret, apply, or observation, interpretation, and then finally, application. Always paying careful, careful attention to the context of the passage. So when it says, in whom, we know that he was previously, Paul was talking about Jesus, So the whom is Jesus. So in Jesus, we, and we talked about how Paul is a Christian writing to Christians. So the we is to be understood as all believers of all time in whom we have redemption. Now I want to stop right here and I want to reference a Bible study tool to help you understand some of these words. Redeeming or redemption or to redeem is not a word that I use every day, and I'm sure it's not a word you use every day. And if you grew up in church or you grew up reading the Bible, you sang about it. For example, the old hymn, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. Um, We say it in our uh, various passages, in our songs. We, We talk about it. But in order to fully understand what it means, we have to look at the word itself. So, The tool I have in front of me is just a Strong's Concordance. Um, You can buy these on Amazon for nothing. I mean, I think I paid like 10 bucks for this one, and it has Strong's Concordance, and it also has Vine's Dictionary. So the first thing I want to do is I want to go to the R section of the concordance, and I want to find the word redemption. But there is a fallacy that can take place. Some people will do that, and they don't understand that there are more than one uh, Greek term that translate to the English word redemption. So the definitions might be similar, but what you want to do is to make sure that that's the term in Greek that's being used at this moment. And I know it sounds complicated, but it's actually not complicated at all. And so I'm, I'm looking in the R section, okay, and I've got the word redemption. I found it. Well, first of all, I need to determine, is this Old Testament or New Testament? Because the word appears in the Old Testament, right? And so on the left side of the concordance I have, and you need to look at your headings, it'll, it says Old Testament, and it has all the 
Hebrew words in the Old Testament that are used. So, But I'm not looking in the Old Testament. The passage I'm reading is in the New Testament. So I want to go over to the New Testament section and see how many times this word's used in the New Testament. Now, even doing that, I'm not done yet because it has the verb form and the various forms of this word as a verb, and then it has the noun form. And so, uh, for example, the verb form would be exagorazo, and then the noun form would be apolotrosis, okay? And so it is, again, the same word, but you have to, in order to fully understand what's taking place, you have to understand is this a verb or a noun. So when I look back at the Bible, we have redemption, okay? Obviously, it's something we have. It's a possession. So if you know basic English, that would make it a noun. It's not saying that we redeem something as if I took, bought tickets to a concert, went to the concert, and they let me in. I've redeemed those tickets. It's being used in the noun form. So I don't want to look at exagorzo, which is the verb form. I want to go down to where it says noun, which my concordance does that. And I look at, and okay, what's the noun form? Well, the noun form is this word, apolotrosis. And then I want to read through the reference section and see, okay, which word is used here in Ephesians 1.7. And it just so happens the word apolotrosis is used here in Ephesians 1.7. Okay, so now I know that I've got the right word. I've got the right Greek word behind it. I'm in the right testament. I'm in the right form. I know that it's a noun and I'm in the right passage. So I know that that is the word Paul is using because if not, you can get a, uh, I don't want to say a false definition, but a wrong definition. For example, the word love in English, we have one word, love. In Greek, there are several, and those definitions vary. Um, and so we have philio, brotherly love, and then agapo, godlike love. Those are two different things. I love my sister, okay? Filio, she's my sister, I, I love her. But that's not the same as I love Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ loves me, agapo. So you want to make sure you have the right word. So now that i found the right word, now I go and look at the definition. And it says a releasing for a ransom. It is used of a deliverance from physical torture, such as in Hebrews 11.35. It's used as the deliverance of the people of God at the coming of Christ. Uh, such as Luke twenty one twenty eight, and then it's used as a deliverance from sin, such as, and here's our reference, Ephesians 1, 7. So we have a proper definition. We know that this word means we've been released, we've been purchased back from the penalty of sin. And so that is how you do a, a proper lookup. That is now I know I have the right definition, the right word, and the right form. A lot of people, like I said, because they don't take those steps, they grab a concordance and all of a sudden, I call them Wikipedia theologians, they know better than the pastor or the seminary professor. But if you don't know what form it is, what mood it's in, because um, Greek has moods, then you can come away with the wrong word and the word that you think you are looking up is not the proper word. Again, it sounds complicated, 
but when you grab your concordance and you take those steps I just laid out for you, it's actually not that complicated. The most complicated part will probably be pronouncing the Greek word, and trust me, that's okay. I probably mispronounced that. I took Greek in seminary, and I still mispronounce the word, so don't worry about that. We want to make sure we have the right definition. Okay, so let's return to our text. In whom we have redemption, release, right? We're being bought back from the penalty of sin. And then it says, through his blood. Okay, and we know that that is a reference to what? The blood that Christ shed on Calvary. In other words, it's a reference to the death of Christ. His death is atonement for our sin. And as the book of Hebrews tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament when the people of Israel were commanded to sacrifice lambs and things like that pigeons for poor people, etc. There was all different kinds of sacrifices, but the sacrifice on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, was a lamb, a spotless lamb, I might add. And so this is clearly, this carries all the way through in the New Testament when Jesus Christ, one of his titles, Lamb of God, he would be known as the ultimate lamb. And so we have through his blood. All right, then Paul moves to explain that further. He says the forgiveness of sins and so our sins can only be forgiven through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ so for our sins to be forgiven we have to take on the cross of Christ that is we have to repent and put our faith in his blood in his death that took place on Calvary okay the forgiveness of sins now notice this next phrase in verse 7 according to the riches of his grace. And so we know that grace, I'm not going to take the time to look that word up. I'm just going to give you the definition. Unmerited favor. Grace is receiving what we did not work or earn, what we do not deserve, okay? According to the riches of his grace. So his grace is rich. It is bountiful. There, In other words, I want to put it in plain English, there's a lot of it. And I want to give you a quote. If you noticed in the first couple of episodes, I played How Firm a Foundation before our show. And that was a kudos, a tipping of the hat to Dr. J. Vernon McGee and his program through the Bible. Dr. McGee died many years ago, but I always um, listened to his program, and it helped me a lot. And he always started with How Firm a Foundation. Now, the reason I said that is because I'm about to give you a quote from Dr. McGee when he was talking about how much grace God has. He said, I'm sure glad that God has a lot of grace because I sure use a lot of it. And if you've been any saved any length of time, if you've been saved any length of time, then you can concur with Dr. McGee that we are glad God has a lot of grace because we sure use a lot of it. So according to the riches of his grace, it was by his grace that he saved us. Now, verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And so, and so his grace has overflowed, not only into the forgiveness of our sins, but he has abounded toward us. He has given toward us all wisdom and prudence. So wisdom to be able to understand 
the things of God, to be able to see things as they are. And so when God gave us his grace, when you were saved, God was allowing you to see things as they are, to see yourself lost and to see him as the only Savior. And then prudence uh, can be defined as knowledge that leads to right action. And so God gave us, not only saved us from our sins, but gave us the wisdom and prudence uh, to understand the mystery of his will, the mystery of his will. And so these are the things of God that are plans of God that are hidden from human reason and comprehension comprehension, and must be divinely revealed if they are to be known at all. And so what I'm trying to get at is the things of redemption, salvation itself, cannot be understood <coughs> by the natural man. First Corinthians, I believe it is, says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. So this idea of redemption and salvation, it makes no sense to a lost person apart from the Holy Spirit illuminating their mind and allowing them to not only believe but to accept and to understand what is going on at place here when you what's going on at place here rather when you are saved. And so he's made this available to us in his grace. Then it goes on in verse ten, excuse me, verse nine, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. It pleased God to do this. It pleased God to bring salvation to sinners. And I'm reminded of a scripture that says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that the Bible also says in the Old Testament that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so we see that God, it pleased him to do this and that he gave his son to die for our sins. And that, that is what makes it grace. It is so amazing. Why would God give us his son, even though we are undeserving, we are sinners, we are breakers of the covenant, we are breakers of the law, and yet it pleased God to allow his own son to die for our sins and to not only give us forgiveness of sins, but to give us wisdom and prudence to understand and to obey his commands as revealed in Holy Scripture. All these things brought pleasure to him now in verse 10 it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth even in him and so that in the dispensation the fullness of times okay paul's looking forward to the future that god will gather all things in christ everyone who's ever been saved gather together in the place called heaven to live with him for all eternity to head up to gather these things together now this word that he might gather together in one it is a word that's sometimes used in military affairs okay and it means to gather up uh troops under their commander and so god sees that we are scattered abroad throughout various times and we're in conflict with evil in this world and he is going to gather up together all things that's all his people to gather us in unity and harmony. And this is the ultimate destination of believers. We are all going to be together one day, those of us who are saved. We will be together with Christ in heaven. And that is a glorious hope. Now, I want to move on to verse 11 here. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Again, who's the whom now? Jesus, remember to keep asking those questions. Who, what, when, where, how? 
Those are your observational questions. You should always be asking those questions as you read through your Bible. If you have to write it down, write it down. That's okay. Write down who? Jesus. What? What are we getting? An inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So God decided beforehand to gather all those who believe um, to obtain the inheritance, to obtain everything Christ gets. The Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ. And so we will inherit the earth one day. I remember I was talking with somebody, or I might have said it from the pulpit, about the housing market, how crazy it is right now. And how I always wanted to have land. And, you know, when I moved down here to Woodruff, everybody had land. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to have some land? But then I began to think about this glorious promise from the lips of Jesus. The meek shall inherit the earth. Okay? I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And if I'm a joint heir with Christ, he's going to inherit the earth and I'm going to get it with him. So I laughed and joked with the congregation and said, listen, all this land belongs to me anyways because it belongs to Christ. Okay, now it says, according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, of His own will, the counsel of His will. And so we have to understand that all these things that God is doing, all these things Paul's describing, is according to the will of God. God is sovereign. We see the idea of God's sovereignty here, which means He's in control, He's in charge. He not only knows the future, but he decides the future, and he allows the future, um, and nothing catches him by surprise. And then that brings us to verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. The idea that Christ has saved us and redeemed us makes him worthy and honor of praise and glory. We give glory to Christ for what he has done to us, done to us and for us. And then in verse 13 it says again, in whom, and we know that's Jesus, ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so I'm going to leave us right there because I don't have enough time to unpack this verse. But remember, we will pick up with verse number 12 and finish, hopefully, this pericope through verse 14. But as I've tried to model for you, use your tools. Use your tools, okay? Ask your questions, who, what, when, where, how. Take out a piece of paper, write down notes. By concordance, I've just taught you how to use it, and I promise I'll reference it again before the time is up. But something else that I wanted to get to, and I didn't get to get to in the previous episodes, is I told you to buy a Bible dictionary. And I referenced several cheap uh, Bible dictionaries. You can get them off Amazon, um, Smith's Bible Dictionary, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. I think I have the Zondervan Pictorial Dictionary right here in front of me. And one of the things you want to do as you start to study, as you start to study a book, you want to go to your Bible Dictionary and look that book up. So I took this Zondervan Pictorial Dictionary and I looked up Ephesians, okay? And it brought me to 
the E section, obviously, and it tells me about the Epistle of Ephesians. It gives me some general background information. It tells me who wrote it, Paul. It talks about when he wrote it. It talks about where he was when while he wrote it. And it talks about the fact that Paul was in prison. This is a prison epistle. Again, the word epistle means letter. It talks about um, the overall... Uh, culture of the city of Ephesus, what Ephesus was like, and, and you can find every book of the Bible in the Bible Dictionary. Look up that book, and it will tell you that basic background information. It's very important to do that because in order to understand any passage of Scripture, we need to place it within its book context, and then we need to find out the background about that book. And so I hope you'll continue to use the tools of the trade as you go through the book of Ephesians with me and I hope to see you or hear you again next time on the podcast.